All right. Liam, how you doing, man? Hey, not too bad. Thanks, Steve, for having me today. Absolutely. So uh, before I hit record, we, we started talking about what we would talk about, and we didn't actually finish that. So I just want to clarify that we don't have a plan for this today. Mm-hmm. We're, we're just going to kind of talk it out. And off the cuff, off the cuff, man. Yeah, it's it's literally this. The, we're learning what's going to happen as you are. Correct. But uh, I I really want this to be, you know, while while I'll make my silly jokes, I want it to be fun. I really want this to be uh, yeah. eye opening, educational. So yeah, I'm sure yeah. Liam will not have a problem with that. Um, not at all. I, it's, it's me that has the problem sometimes with the eye-opening educational stuff. So, uh, <laughs> so here's, here's what I want to do. You shared with me, um, this, this article from ProPublica. Yep. And ProPublica is investigative journalism in the public interest. So before we really talk about the article, how much do you know about ProPublica? Uh, not much, not much, to be honest, it was presented okay. to us by an, in, by one of our staff internally, because it kind of resonated a lot of stuff that we're trying to educate, um, a lot of people in cybersecurity that the data is basically the goal is the, is the, is the pot of gold of the rainbow for every hacker or every person organized crime to get access to. Understood. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's that article that you, uh, that you shared with me. Yep. And the headline is, despite decades of hacking attacks, companies leave vast amounts of sensitive data unprotected. Yep. And I'll put the article, a link to the article into uh, description, show notes, whatever you want to call it. This article is from six days ago, January yep. 25th, 2.40 Eastern. Um, and and I, I did not even read the entire article. But there were a few key points that I I literally just kind of grabbed out of this article. Number one is uh, there's a lot of security breaches that happen. Yes. Um, number two, it is often cheaper to clean up a breach than it is to avoid one in the first place. <laughs> Corporate losses from a data breach typically run around. $200,000. Yes. According to a recent study of 56,000 cybersecurity incidents. And that's by uh, Scientia Institute, mm-hmm. uh, who I've also never heard of, but they are a cybersecurity research firm. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of them out there that get into the, because cybersecurity is becoming a, I hate to say this, it's becoming a market uh, mm-hmm. for research just on breaches alone to make money from it. It's a, it's a sad really, but there's now generating enough market to like, you got the Ponham Institute bringing out theirs, you know, Verizon bringing out their research. Um, you've got the Foresters, the Gartners and everybody else and yeah. everybody else in between. And unfortunately the bad actors are creating a new industry for researchers to talk about different types of breaches, the outcomes, the effects, the follow on effects, the domino effect from it. The precursor, what's the problem? So all these different variables, but I will say something, Steve, that I think is, is the downside to it is, is that too much information makes us become complacent around cybersecurity. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. So 
So let me say this. I, I recently had a conversation with Titan HQ mm -hmm. and we, we started talking about like, you know, what's, what cybersecurity framework should we use? And like, how do we pick one and all this stuff? And just to, I, I I'm going to say, I don't feel like we landed on a true answer, mm -hmm. but you can only accomplish so much in a one hour or so interview, right? Well, absolutely. So, so let me ask you this. If you sat down with a guy who runs an MSP mm -hmm. or says it's an MSP, maybe it's not truly MSP. Maybe mm -hmm. it's more break fix than he likes to admit. Maybe he just isn't up to date on what he should be doing with cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. He still thinks he needs a spam filter and bit defender antivirus. And I don't know, DNS filtering. And he mm -hmm. thinks he's done. What, what do you say to this guy? Like, how do you get his mind thinking more like, uh, more like a CISO than an IT guy? Well, and, and, and I think the problem lies is, is that, um, going back many years ago, there was this, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this statement before. Cybersecurity is a process, not a product. That's right? correct. But in actuality, I've never heard the statement, but yeah. it's, it's true. It's, it, 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 it's true, but in this modern day, it's a combination of both because you can't implement a process, which means policies and procedure, which mm -hmm. could take six months. Well, what are you going to utilize in the meantime to reduce or mitigate that risk until you finally got a, a process in place? Nothing. You don't you rely just, on technology. You right? just don't, you just don't do anything until. But that's, the, that's the, the normal. Place. But that's the normal thing we have happen right now. So now we got to start thinking it's a combination of both. So for that person that you're referring to, they refer to what they call the defense in depth, right? They build that, that, mm -hmm. that trench warfare. Each layer of the, of the, of the network has a level of protection to re reduce the way of getting into the endpoint where the data is housed. But if we say, okay, in order for you to implement that defense in depth, put some policies and procedures around it and give yourself some room around it. How do you do that? Well, oh, I can go HIPAA, I can go PCI, I can go this, keep, keep, stick to the basics. And there's two, there's two types of rule sets that I tell people to focus on from a compliance standpoint that helps to implement certain things of technology. One is the CIS controls version eight, okay? And the other one is the NIST cybersecurity framework. Once you put those basics in place, you're already 60 plus percent of the way there to be certified in PCI to meet compliance. You got the other elements associated with that. But if you focus that's, that's perfect. Let's stop there for a second. Yep. Um, all right. So if, and, and this is, this is literally what I was trying to get out of him was NIST CSF is a framework. Yep. CIS controls is not a framework. So the framework is like, it, it seems to me, it seems more like the framework is concept and yes. here's, here's like the things you should be thinking about Yeah. while the controls, they've got all these different benchmark files, literally telling you make these changes in 365 and here's why and what it'll do. Mm -hmm. And that's a combination of both. So, and that's where. I think MSPs need to evolve, right? In saying, mm -hmm. I'm focused on the traditional elements of MSP, firewall management, patch management, and endpoint protection. I maybe throw some backups in there as well, right? There's the four key elements. They say that that's their cybersecurity mindset. 
But if they take take a step out of their comfort zone and either implement, you know, NIST CSF or look at the, you know, CIS controls version eight, they pretty much know majority of those components or controls without realizing because they're doing it on a daily basis within those four elements. They just need to extend it out a little bit more. And now you're looking at the bigger picture from a cybersecurity standpoint and thinking like a CISO. The problem with CISOs traditionally was they were very administrative uh, orientated. Mm-hmm. We need CISOs that understand technology and came up from the technology realm and is willing to accept the administrative functions. To me, and I know a lot of people are going to jump on my bandwagon and say that's not a right and uh, a uh, thing to think say about. But I think that's the better CISO in this modern day is the merger of somebody that understands technology and can bring in process and bring it together. And the MSP has the ability to do that because you've got your own internal processes, how you do help desk, time to resolve, all these things that you've already got in standards. You just need to say, let's take that same methodology and use that from a security standpoint, cybersecurity on the do's and don'ts, and then bring the technology you're already implementing a framework without realizing it. You're just putting another layer, another, another layer on top of that, whether it's NIST CSF or CIS controls version eight, you're literally almost there already by actually instituting what you're already doing internally, making sure it's going to level one, goes to level two, level three, and the time to respond and all this kind of stuff. So you can prove and build out your KPIs and build out your framework. So MSPs have the, 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 the already the the backbone without realizing the infrastructure they've already got already. They've got that already in play. And I think stepping forward, that's the next evolution. So Steve, from your standpoint, for you to evolve as an MS from an MSP to a cybersecurity focused MSP is to bring in those elements into the equation, right? But the downside to it is, is that are you going to go back to your customer and ask them for more money? Nine times out of 10, the MSP doesn't want to do that because that leaves the door open for them to go and get another MSP coming in and having an opportunity saying, oh, Steve's done a bad job or Liam's done a bad job from his MSP, like they do when they run different tools. But I think it has to be done because the either you die in the vine because cybersecurity is becoming more and more part of business and there it's becoming a bottom line number. Okay, I got to put some money on the wayside as a company just in case I get breached or just in case I get compromised. Mm-hmm. Because what if this my insurance doesn't cover it? And you can see last week, Merrick won a big, massive court case against their cyber insurance company because they were under attack. And the cyber insurance company says, hey, it was an act of war because the country that was attacking you is a foe of the U.S. is not a foe, is a foe of the U.S. So therefore, it's classed as an act of war. We're not covering it. They won their court case. So that means the insurance company has to pay up. But People are not willing to do that. They want to do that now. And I kind of, and I'll, and I'll, you know, I get on my soapbox when it comes to cybersecurity and MSPs, but federal government is making it easier for your clients to point the finger at the MSP if there's a breach. So, and that's a problem because MSPs will then either feel fearful of not employing security. So they don't know, and hopefully touch wood, they don't get compromised. But it's happening where more and more MSPs are being now sued because in requirements, they need to put in place a basic level of cybersecurity, firewall management, antivirus, or annual patch management, and so forth. And you can go and look online, and you can see a number of cases already starting to be publicized 
of MSPs being sued by their uh, their client for when they've been breached so they can recoup some of the cost out of their their partners. All right. So let me ask a question. I, yeah. I'm sharing the... I assume I'm allowed to share this without getting like sued by them. Or no, something. it's a PDF. So if it's yeah, available you, on their website to download, it's a PDF. So that's what I, I mean, I downloaded it. It didn't cost me anything. So, yeah. um, all right. CIS benchmarks. So we know that there's CIS controls and then there's CIS benchmarks. Can you give us the 32nd version of what's the difference? Um, CIS controls is kind of like your NIST framework. The benchmark is basically saying, Hey, I want to securely configure that application, Office 365, the Windows desktop, the Windows server, a Mac OS or a Linux OS. I want mm -hmm. to harden it to make it hard for the end user to compromise the system and also for an external entity to compromise that system. The, the, the CIS controls version eight is their version of a NIST CSF, which is basically a set of controls of policies and procedures, understanding your network, doing discovery, all this kind of stuff, and rolling that up. And it's a, then it's easier for the MSP to adopt because a lot of it they recognize that they're already doing without realizing that they're doing it. All right. So I'm going to I'm gonna ask, I, I first want to look at a few things in this document mm -hmm. just so that way people understand like what, what this document shows. So, um... Let's go here. Mm -hmm. All right. So this is literally saying, um, Azure Active Directory. Yep. Uh, ensure multi-factor authentication is enabled for all users in administrative roles. Correct. So anyone with these roles, they, they're saying that it should have MFA. Mm -hmm. And here's the reason why. Here's yep. the impact it's going to have. Correct. So they're literally telling you, you, you should do it because you're stupid. If you don't, that's the yep. rationale. Uh, the impact is, uh, it's, it's going to be a little harder. You cry baby, but that's because it needs to be done. Yep. And then they're and showing the you where you go. That's and then they'll tell you where to go to configure it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't see maybe, the, maybe it's cause this says automated. So maybe. Mm -hmm. This was a poor one to choose, but they do show you right here. Here is how you verify it. So they mm -hmm. literally, they tell you what URL to go to, what buttons to hit. Correct. And here's how you audit that this is done. Correct. And then if we, if we come in here, we also have remediation. So yep. if it's not done correctly, here it is. So I just Correct. assumed it was going to be the first thing, like here, do it and then audit, but they're saying audit. If it's not done, then fix it. Correct. Because in, in, in their benchmark, like say, for example, um, you do a CIS benchmark control, there's applications out there that will remotely connect to the system, analyze mm -hmm. everything that's in there, come back and say, here's all the things that you failed. Now go and fix them. Um, and, and, and anything that's passed, if you have not configured anything, they call that OBE out of box experience, which basically means is. These are the default things that are turned on. Microsoft mm -hmm. has, so let's say Microsoft Windows 10 has about 333 tests. By default, about 75 of them are defaultly turned on when you install Windows 10. Same when you turn, go to Active Directory, they may go to 83 because there's three, uh, too much stuff doing that, but you're still failing a lot. And the goal, the, the goal is, is that once you start enabling this, you start reducing the threat landscape. 
So account takeover, all the different kinds of stuff. Um, you're on mute, Steve. Sorry. Every episode it happens at least once. Yeah. All right. So after we audit, we remediate yep. and this is, and this is literally telling us log into the global admin, uh, go to the Azure active directory, select enterprise applications, blah, 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 <clears throat> excuse me. And it shows us literally how to build out a policy that, that handles all of this for us. Absolutely. Especially for, and then applying that to all admins, and then you can make a, a different change to apply it to all users. So therefore mm -hmm. it's not just admins, so you can apply it to all users, uh, but ultimately, it, and that's where, and you, and you think about certain things, there's a lot of things when you go through this, this booklet and you go through each individual step, there's a lot of things that people would normally would do by default, because they think it's the best, it's common sense. A lot of it is common sense. Cybersecurity is common sense, but it's just now formalizing that into a booklet to follow, to make sure that you are engaging in those common sense. And if you're not it to tell you that you're not, so you can turn that common sense filter on, right? So in a way. Mm -hmm. And then, so I know, uh, version seven of CIS controls, I believe there were like 20 controls that is correct. version version eight, they're down to 18 controls. That is they, correct. Kind of, they kind of, uh, combined some and yep. simplified some others. Correct. If I recall correctly, one of the controls on V seven was like MFA for everyone mm -hmm. on all user accounts and version a it's in a completely different thing. And now they're saying just for administrative accounts. Because they've split that out. You could have it where it's both for administrators and for, uh, users. Um, and so, so somewhere else, there's a control, uh, a benchmark item telling me to enable it for users and for, for V8, it might still be 16.3, but for V8, they also said for administrators specifically. Yeah. And it could be 16, uh, in V8, it could be 6.7, right. As you're sure. Control, right? Sure. Um, but the goal is, is that to get started in understanding that. So that's where that cross-reference is. And that's one of the key things I like about the CIS controls is technology is cross-walked to your administrative functions very easily. Um, and then you can implement a tighter security without one, do I need to hire a security expert? Can my staff be, you know, trained and understand? Yes, absolutely. Which in basically makes you more, you, you increase your utilization. And it potentially allows you to build more with those current staff and not having to hire new people because you've brought in the term cybersecurity uh, as part of your 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 story and your education to your to your customers. But a lot of times, I think you'll find that a lot of people have very adequate staff that can take on the role as a sec admin and a security administrator very easily without having to reinvent the wheel. Excellent, and. Um... So once you go, so, so let me, let me back this up a little bit then. So now we understand what the, the types of information is in this yeah. document. And this is literally, this document is just Microsoft 365 foundations benchmark. Mm -hmm. So this is going to help you set up Microsoft 365 for one of your clients or yourself. Yep. So that way, um, your 365 uh, tenant is, is meeting CIS controls. Correct. Now there's also 
different implementation groups. And that is, I see here, implementation groups one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. So those seem like tier one, two, and three. And it's, and like, without really doing my research into it, my assumption is it has something to do with, um, almost the complexity or, or difficulty of security posture. Yeah, and there is, and, 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 and again, depending on how they determine IG, IG one, uh, two and three, any CIS benchmark has a level one or a level two, right? From a security standpoint, level one means that your basic entry point to security, which is 99.9% .9 of all base, you know, requirements. But if you want to tighten the security in certain areas, then you would engage level two, right? And that's tied to security. So the higher the security it is may implement in a different level of your implementation implementation groups around that to kind of go through different elements. But ultimately 90% of organizations will take on level one security as a good standard to work from. Does it mean that you're not going to be compliant? No, it means you are going to be compliant. It's just, that means you're taking a stance on level one and not going through level two. Got it. Right. So, and, and that's okay. I mean. Hey, you got to start somewhere, right? Correct. Absolutely. So, so speaking of, you got to start somewhere. Is it okay to say, look, I, I don't understand NIST CSF and CIS controls, but you know what I do understand? I want my customers, my customers to be better secure. Mm -hmm. So can I just download these benchmarks and just start implementing them to my customers? Um, yes, you can. Right. Um, but be careful, right? Mm -hmm. Because, um, it can backfire because you need to make sure when you're reading that the rationale and the impact, if you don't understand the impact because you're going cloud or if you're on-prem or cloud, there could be a major impact if it's a cloud-based system. Say for example, this is a, a virtual machine in Azure, right? Now you're going to configure a windows 10 uh, CIS benchmark against it, but you didn't pay attention to the impact that you turned on a specific feature. What that does is basically makes that machine unaccessible anymore. It just bricks it. Mm -hmm. You got to make sure that understanding the rationale means that I may have 300 controls in this benchmark here, right? But I may only, I may only need to implement 150 of them. Okay. Because the other 150 will impact one productivity will impact a certain application, or I can't utilize a functionality in Office 365 as I had envisioned because of that. Does that make you less secure? No, it means you're aware of your business and operational and tying that with to security rather than security trying to be bolting on to your business and operations, which is where a lot of people make a mistake because they're rushing to you know, bolt on security. Sit down and have a think about the process. And the impact is a key thing as you're going through this, to understand if I turn this on, how's this going to affect us within the application or system or whatever we're doing? Because ultimately, because if we don't, then we could be at a, you know, be an MSP egg in our face and the customer's down and we're going to have to go engage with Microsoft to undo what we just did if they can do it on the back end. Oh, that's great, man. Thank yep. you for that. Um, so there are other, uh, items available through CIS. Mm -hmm. So earlier we mentioned that you might want to map your CIS controls elsewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you have multiple, um, 
multiple guidelines that you're you're required right why Correct. can't i think of the right words you can well, call them frameworks you can call them standards whatever you want to call them they're all guidelines basically maybe here okay now words are working why are we doing this on a monday man why <laughs> no, are you doing this to coffee me? or tea <laughs> so so maybe you have multiple regulatory compliance mm -hmm. standards that you have to adhere to yep um for example maybe you uh, are a doctor's office and you know you've got to you've got to make sure you are hipaa compliant or or whatever the right way to say that is so your your msp you are you're an msp i should say and you want to make sure that you're doing cis and you've got a doctor's office well here is cis and it mapping it to hipaa so yep. they literally have this on their site so mm -hmm. here you you just download this and it lets you know if it's a detect protect uh so on and so forth for all the different um mm -hmm. security functions and the functions that you um that you can remember from things like nist csf they have mm -hmm. functions as part of their framework well hipaa is a framework right mm -hmm. so with the hipaa framework they too have functions and it also shows you here's the cis control type here's the C, uh, security function and as you scroll over you get to learn about you know the relationship and section and title and everything and i i suspect this is one of these titles is the cis title and one of them is the hipaa title correct along with here's the section probably in hipaa mm -hmm. while well, these are the cis controls and safeguards correct and that's the key thing is that once you have a standard that you feel comfortable with, and let's take the CIS controls, it's very easy for them to map it out to other regulatory compliance, whether that's PCI, whether that's HIPAA, SOX, GLBA, or anything in between, but you only have to focus on one. Then the right. rest, it just falls into place, right? Because now most people make the mistake is, all right, I'll do PCI and I'll set some rules and guidelines around PCI, then I'll do HIPAA. And then all of a sudden they've got four or five different guidelines of which one do they implement. But if you focus on CIS controls, it brings in the administrative functions, but then it brings in the technology, which is what you're good at, and brings in the administrative stuff to help you to not, you know, not to reinvent the wheel. It helps you to guide in those elements. And that's why, you know, I like CIS controls. I think it's a very under underutilized uh, function within uh, MSPs. Um, and I think and I think it can be very much uh, heavily more utilized to bring a set of standards that I think will allow MSPs to be more and more successful in implementing cybersecurity, uh, you know, enhancing the security posture of their clients in, you know, whether it's technology, whether it's administrative or soft control, so they would like to call them. And here's, here's, um, I thought I was sharing this earlier. So here, for those of you watching, this is an Excel spreadsheet free to download right from the CIS website. You don't need to pay some. Yeah, MSP compliance company to give you all this info. It's free. CIS gives it to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it tells you, I'll just pick this one right here. Row number 68 is CIS control six safeguard 6.2 establish an access revoking process. Mm -hmm. And then it's got a description here along with, um, sorry, someone's trying to call me. I should have put my phone in. Do not disturb. Um, but then it's got a description here, establish and follow a process. 
sorry, uh, preferably automated for revoking access to enterprise assets, blah, 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 blah. Right. And -hmm. then over here, it's got the equivalent, uh, section term, uh, title description and type. Yeah. So, so it's showing you like, look, we've, we've even got so many things that some of them don't even map to HIPAA, right? Like this whole section right Mm -hmm. here. Correct. HIPAA doesn't care about any of this. Not that it doesn't care. It just doesn't have anything in their so outdated. They have, it's because they're outdated. It, they're, mm-hmm. yeah, remember this was all done in the two thousand early 2000s. The whole aspect and the last time it was updated in 2010 with the, you know, the, uh, with the e-trust and, you know, HIPAA high trust and right. tech and so forth. But, uh, and ultimately, but what you also got to take into account and, and, you know, people make the mistake in, in doing this is that when you see the last section where it says type as required or addressable. Okay. People will look at it and says required means I have to do it. Addressable. Yeah. I don't have to do it. No, that's not the case. If you have a business purpose, it becomes required. Let's say, for example, a termination policy, even though it's addressable, think about it. It's required because you need to implement a termination policy, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, or somebody's uh, moving from one division to another in the same company, it's still the same It's a termination process. So it becomes required. So they're the things that you also need to look at is it's part of that. If it says addressable, I still going to do it because I want to enhance the security for that organization um, and then turn those re- addressable into required. And then you become a hero because now when they get audited, you're meeting every, there is no backlash or potential fines if they're not doing their job, especially if they were breached or compromised, not due to the fact of the inability of the MSP not doing their job properly. They did everything they could. You can't fix what's t- what's between the keyboard and the chair if they click on the pre- they click on an on, on any on, on an extension or an attachment that says hey Southwest Airlines free tickets and they go ooh even though they didn't order any um, right so th- you can't stop that unfortunately um, no matter how much technology put in place or education people are inquisitive by nature and are nosy and they will look at something especially if they feel that it could benefit them it's like a magpie at a blackbird where they see shiny things. <laughs> and I have two other things I want to address on this document. Yeah. So we talked earlier about how, uh, there were five of these just in this one section of, of my screen mm-hmm. that didn't even map to HIPAA because HIPAA is outdated. There's also one CIS control, uh, safeguard that looks like it maps to three different portions yes. of HIPAA. Yep. So. Again, it's probably just because we're talking about a document that's now 12 years old mm-hmm. and things exist now that didn't even exist then. Correct. So there's just a, a cleaner way to say it through CIS. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you're able to see the trees through the forest, right? Mm-hmm. In a way, because they're, it's more modern. It's more up to date. It's a lot more, it's a lot more acronyms in there that you're more used to than old technology in terms mm-hmm. um, and so forth, because you know, one of the HIPAA rules says password policy. Well, you know, now in the modern day, that means a lot more than just simply a password policy. That could be two-factor authentication. Is it password management? Is it single sign-on? All this kind of stuff. And in the CIS controls has a tendency of talking about that in there. So it actually means more than just reading directly what HIPAA says. Um, and, you know, as, as we look at the younger generation, they tend to absorb more of the newer technology faster than us, us old folks that have been in, in the industry for a long time, right? Because we've moved up and even though we think we're, enge- we're engineers, when we sit in front of a keyboard, you still wonder how to spell the word the sometimes, 
and that happens to me a lot. So, um, but again, I think that MSPs have a lot of work to do. Um, I think a lot of them know that cybersecurity is a major part of their business now. Um, but I just think that they just, they're, they're stuck on how to approach cybersecurity effectively and being cost conscientious, but also, um, not having to open the doors for other potential MSPs to take their business away that shies away and to be afraid of what could be found that the M their, their client could turn around and say, wow, you're supposed to be doing this. What am I paying you for when we're finding, you know, vulnerabilities when your SLA says we'll only patch windows updates or operating system patches, but third-party applications don't get patched. But when you implement a vulnerability management solution, it identifies that you've got a thousand vulnerabilities in third party. The customer, the customer doesn't care. They think you're patching it, but you're, you're, you know what I mean? So it has the, can have the both positive and the adverse effect, but turn it in the pot, the negative into a positive. And that is we're investing in these tools, right? We're investing in this process because our SLA only focused on the windows or the OS patches. And look at this vulnerability report. Do you see any OS patches? No, it's all third party. That's why we're implementing this because we need to be aware of what's going on so we can protect you more. Now you're like, you're just, you're just making them feel good because you've done something. Now they see the value. And I think when you give people the ability to like, let's take that, uh, the Excel spreadsheet and you're working with a major client of yours and you're working through that as a project management solution. Allowing them to have access to that file at any time of the day, instead of a meeting once a month on progress is more valuable to me because it shows that you're no longer hiding. You're no longer the wizard behind the cloak. You're showing progress. You're showing you're being open. You're being more trusting, which a lot of the, a lot of customers want because if they don't see an ongoing value and see a report once a month, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a, a, an example. This makes me laugh to this day. Um, working with a, uh, an MSP and one of their partners, uh, one of their clients, sorry, uh, was using one of their products they had implemented for data classification. So they would produce a report once a month. Okay. So as I being a security expert, it was prior to where I am today, but I was doing my consultancy work and I went and walked down and one of the major departments was a HR department. It was about 50 people in the HR department. They had all these doors open because they wanted, it was during the summer, they wanted the air to circulate. And I looked at the door. They had wedged open the door with the reports that they were given for data classification. They weren't even looking at it. They were using it as door wedges to keep the door open, right? Because it became shelfware. There wasn't accountability. And the MSP was like, what do you do? Oh, you just give us that report, but we don't know what we need to do in this report. And that, so the MSP said, well, why didn't you tell us? Well, okay, but you should know that if you're looking at the system, the data is not getting smaller, it's getting bigger. So you should have brought us to a table and had a conversation. This went on for about 18 months. So the MSP realized that if they were a bit more vocal and understanding, instead of being afraid, now within the first 60 days, they reduced that footprint by 70% because they allowed the customer to log in to that application or that system and worked with them rather than being afraid to ask that question. So just to give you an example, don't be afraid to ask questions because I think it will be beneficial because the MSP 
has a tendency of being afraid to ask too much in questions because of they could potentially have an adverse effect of their, from their clients. And I think in this day and age, we've got to ask questions. If you don't, you're not going to know what's going on. Then, then we, then we make assumptions, right? And we all know what some assume means and it can end up happening that way. I like that. Um, I like that a lot. <clears throat> and it's so important to ask questions and it's so important for you to just be transparent with your mm -hmm. customers. Um, I, I just read something the other day. I even posted about it in, um, in Reddit. I, it, it basically said something along the lines of publicize your screw ups. Like don't, don't be afraid of making mistakes. Understand that somebody will always have a mistake. Absolutely. If you own the mistake and you talk about it and you talk about what you learned and what you've implemented to make sure that doesn't happen again, now that you're going to actually end up building trust over mm -hmm. a mistake. Yes. <clears throat> and that's now, the key thing is trust. And that's, I think as we move forward as, as, as a group, as a department, as a, uh, space in this industry, we need to build more trust um between ourselves and our clients because it makes it harder than for somebody to come in and take an opportunity to take away so it's no longer about the money right it's about building that trust because once you've been you've you've been in the trenches together whether it's through a breach or a compromise and you built in a deeper relationship but if you show them where you can enhance their security without breaking the bank and showing them how you can do things like in CIS benchmarking, for example, that brings a different level of credibility than saying, you know what, next year your bill is going to go up by another $10,000 a month. Why? Oh, because we're going to implement SOC as a service. When Did we have a discussion about that? No, that's how we're evolving. Well, I think you need to take, MSPs need to take baby steps, but they need to also understand data, right? Where the data is located. And everybody jumps on buzzwords, zero trust and this and that and the other. Don't get me wrong. But I think MSPs are quick to implement technology thinking it's going to solve their problem, but administratively they fail because they don't, they think technology is going to be the answer. But if you were able to combine the, the ability of asking simple questions, right? Here's six simple questions, right? And Stephen, think about this. Can you honestly believe that your clients will be able to answer this question and you being an MSP answer this question? Number one is. Do you know where your client's data is located? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's in the cloud. Okay. It's in the cloud, right? Yeah. Two. Okay. Now are you, that, that's an assumption or is that fact? I mean, I'm just role playing with you. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, but, you see, that's what else, <laughs> but that's what the next question I would ask. Is that an assumption or is that fact? Right? Because people oh, do okay. come back and ask me that question. Number the, the follow on question really after that one is, do you know what type of sensitive data it is? Uh-huh. Yeah. So my, my client, what they do is they actually take pictures of all the credit cards for their customers to keep them on file. Okay. So they've got, uh, they just keep them in iCloud photos because that's, <laughs> that's a pretty secure place, you know? That's right. And then it's synced to about 35 different, uh, uh, iPhones plus personal iPhones that are all part of that same account. Exactly. Um, now the, the third question, the third question is, do you know who has access to that? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So we ended up, um, 
it, it was it was really expensive to set up like mm-hmm. Apple for business because then you got to you know you got to purchase apps for every single device, right? So mm-hmm. what we did is instead the owner just uh, gave everyone his username and password for his Apple account. Okay. So now, before I go to the next third it's question, it's okay. There's only sixty three employees that have access to that though. Okay, so there you have sixty three employees. But I'm 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 acting like an auditor, but getting mm-hmm. the MSP to think now. Okay, what is? Do you know if that's an email? Those pictures are going to be an email. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we email okay. them. Sometimes we fax them because that's HIPAA compliant, uh, of course. Okay. So uh, HIPAA, next thing is HIPAA compliant. So there, so we have it in cloud storage, iCloud. We have it in email. We Facebook. also we also have a, a Facebook group just for the company, and we'll upload the pictures to that Facebook group. Okay. Yeah, now, that's... now you start seeing where the potential problem is, right? Because now, you're we is it on third is it on third party drives, right? Is it in Bucks.net, right? Is it in uh, Dropbox? Is it in S3 buckets? Is it in Azure Glob and Blob data? Is it in OneDrive? Is it in SharePoint? Now, as you start building that out, all of a sudden, you just got this spider of information that may not only just be images. It could also be somebody transposing that image into a text file that's stored in their their inbox or in their personal folder in a directory somewhere located. Now, the next, next set of questions is now that we've kind of compartmentalized and think we know where the data is, let's ask the next question. Mm-hmm. The next set of questions will be is those systems that house that data, how vulnerable are they? Well, I mean, iPhone, uh, iPhotos, whatever you call it. Uh, I mean, I think the last leak was, you know, just a few years ago. They've, they've patched everything up by then. It was only okay. hundreds of celebrity nudes that got leaked. Okay, so then you've got backups on your you got workstations, which could mm-hmm. be Windows, could be servers. You've got your OneDrive. Is it securely? Is it secure? So now all of a sudden you don't know the vulnerability landscape because it goes above and beyond what you originally said, which is the iCloud. Now, oh, Liam, I, I f- totally forgot. We've also got a, a team of developers that also have access to that account, uh, but I, nothing to really worry about. They're they're located in uh, Ukraine. There you go. Right. So then the next thing is those systems that house that data, are they securely configured? Which goes back to the CIS benchmarking. Yeah, we, we definitely have a secure password. Everyone uses the same one. Okay. So, and then finally, as you do mitigation and find stuff, are you able to track it and assign accountability? I don't, why would I do that? (laughs) Because there is already identification of data, right? So now you see those six simple questions, you're already sending out red flags that the MSP is feeling uncomfortable about because one is they're assuming because that's what we did as a project iCloud, we're not looking at it from a security standpoint by saying, where does that data spider to? Who has access to that data? Where, what could be problems with it? Is it the people from previous employees and new employees still have access to that data, especially if it's an iCloud account. Did we clean it up? Did we go through that process? Are they on these servers? And, of course and they, not. And we tell them, we make it very clear, stop using this account when we let them go. There you go. But they don't do that. So Of course they do. But that's but we just make that assumption. We assume that they do, right? They, they, they pinky swore with me. <laughs> well, you think about it. So look at it from that perspective, Steve. So you're already in the back of your mind is already you're trying to answer the question 
mm-hmm. correctly rather than thinking it through saying, hey, here's an opportunity for us to change, an opportunity to find out where that data is because I don't want to be involved in a breach or compromise. So let's look at where the potential data points can be so we can reduce that footprint because it only takes one you know, one person to compromise a, a network or one thing to have access to all that data. Now, the simplified is, is that MSPs do tend to make a mistake a lot of times by going in and creating a file share. Instead of it doing it based on a uh, role-based access, they'll let everyone full control. I'll get back to it later. And then it never gets back to it. So it just compounds. That folder just gets bigger and bigger and bigger with data that has sensitive data, but everyone has access to it. So these are things that we go through because ultimately that data is, a tr- is the treasure trove for any bad actor, whether they want to hold it for ransom hold it hostage, or exfil it to sell on the dark web. There's a value associated with that data. Then you build your security concentric rings around that data to protect it, which is your defense and depth, and bringing those technologies in. What your administrative functions is, is you know, Steve, you find sensitive data, what's going to end up happening, MSPs will think, Steve, it's your job to clean it up for me. I'm, the, I'm, your, I'm your customer. No, no, no. You're only the custodian of that data. You're not the owner. I'm the owner of that data. So you're going to say, Liam, here's what, here's the data that we discovered. Let us know what you want to do with that data. Delete it, encrypt it, remove it, because that data is 20 years old. Do you need credit card information from 20 years ago? No. Let's get rid of it. Are you PCI compliant around that data? Should you be storing it? No, we shouldn't be storing it. Let's get rid of it completely so we don't have that footprint. So these are things that we need to start, you know, being not afraid of asking questions and taking our organization to the next level. And some people may feel afraid. That's why they go to the the 20, the Pax 8 and other elements to, or, you know, seven figure MSP or anything of that nature to help them to overcome those internal, you know, issues because they don't have, they don't feel they don't have the caliber. But like you went through earlier, you could quite easily see that you have enough knowledge to actually take on the responsibility as a cybersecurity uh, person by CIS controls and marrying that to technology and then back to process is a very easy thing, an easy thing to do. That if you did a month rollout you within your organization, you could pick a customer, let's work on that customer and see how easy it is to implement that and create a, create a cookie cutter process to implement all your customers. And it's a very that. easy thing to do. And, and it, you know, so I want to get back to this document because there's mm-hmm. one other thing I want to talk about. And so we were talking about CIS controls. We were, we were looking at the, the V8 controls. Mm-hmm. And then we started looking at CIS controls version 8 mapping to HIPAA. Yep. And uh, in this document, the thing that excites me the most, as weird as this sounds, is they have a tab called unmapped. And in this tab, the mm-hmm. very last tab down at the, the bottom here, yep. it's telling you all of the HIPAA controls, mm-hmm. or whatever they are, uh, that CIS does not address. Correct. Correct. And how cool is it? Like if, if you just said, all right, I've, I've got, I, you know, I've, I've built out CIS. I know that if I do these. 362 things for each and every one of my clients, they'll be, uh, compliant with CIS controls. And I also know that, um, if I do all of those 362 things, 
I only have a handful, like literally, what is this? 12 items. Yeah. That's not a scary number. No, it's not. Not it's, at all. It's really, and some of these items seem silly to me. So like media reuse, implement procedures for removal of electronic protected health information from media before the media are made available for reuse. Yeah. I mean, that literally is, sounds as simple as saying, I'm going to make a work instruction or uh, SOP or whatever that says, before we reuse any hard drives, we'll do a, we'll do a DOD erase on the thing or something uh, you, along you, those you lines. Now you see how you're bringing technology into a process without even realizing that the media reuse is the, is a data destruction plan. Like you said, I either mm -hmm. smash it with a hammer, bring it to the gun range, or you yeah. get a, a big massive magnet or I use D bands to do a DOD erase, right? Right. Sanction policy. That's not your control. That's a HR control. Cause that's basically saying, Hey, if I violate this policy, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to get terminated? Am I going to get, you know, uh, suspended for a couple of weeks with no pay because of me violating a policy? So you can see now it is, once you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's not that hard at all. It's just getting past that fear. It's kind of like the writer's block, right? When you're sitting down in front of a typewriter or a keyboard, you're like, I got to write an essay. The first couple of hours, you got writer's block. That's the same thing here because it's the fear of what, what am I going to write? How do I going to do this? But when you just look at it from a technology standpoint, which you just did with the mapping and then showing what's the unmapped, it's actually like, whew, it's actually not as bad as I thought it would be because I thought I'd have to write like 55 million policies and do all this kind of stuff and implement and be this HIPAA expert and go to training and get certified and hire people. Not really. Um, let the external auditors be that person for them. You're doing the day-to-day -day cybersecurity operational stuff. Um, and, and this is a clear factor of how easily it can be done. Look at us. We're 50 minutes in. And you've already mapped out for a client potentially how to map them out from a HIPAA perspective by using CIS controls version eight in less now, than 15 minutes. Now let's, let's talk about that. So we mapped out HIPAA compliance for a client. Yep. Now, is this everything a medical facility? One second. <clears throat> Sorry, I just needed to clear my throat. Is this everything a medical facility needs to do for HIPAA compliance? Absolutely. Or is it just everything from a technology standpoint? It's a combination of both, right? Because even in the controls, it's going to say, hey, give a password policy, this policy, that policy. CIS will also ask for that as well. But once you get to these points, it's going to crosswalk that they don't have a control because they're saying unmapped, like a sanction policy. They're saying a sanction policy. We're not going to cover that in our control. HIPAA's already got that. So we're not going to, we don't need to map it. Sanction policy is basically assigning a risk to that policy and what the actual outcome is if I violate that or consequence. Emergency operation plan is a DR plan. What am I going to do during a disaster recovery, right? In emergency mode. So let right. me, let me ask this question differently only because, um, I, I have never worked with any medical facilities because HIPAA was scary, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so if. Steve Taylor MSP walks into a, a dental facility mm -hmm. and they are completely not HIPAA anything. And I say, uh, you hire me as your MSP. I'm going to implement CIS controls. And then there's 12 other things we need to do. And then your office is 100% HIPAA compliant. Like are From there a security rule? Yes. Okay. Don't don't get, because 
out of that HIPAA compliancy, there is also what they call the privacy rule, which comes down to the users, how they interact with the data that they see in front of them. Like, if, if, And that's, that's, that's what I was trying to figure yeah. out. So yeah. there's, there is more than security. Correct. There's um, a privacy so there, section of HIPAA as well, which, but from a security yeah. standpoint, everything that you said in CIS controls version eight, plus the unmapped, yes, from a security control standpoint, and they maintain that on an ongoing basis, then absolutely you're meeting the security rule of HIPAA. 100%. Now, so there's security, and then you said there's privacy. Is right. there anything that the MSP needs to do for privacy beyond security? Uh, it, it depends. So privacy could, uh, privacy is basically saying, hey, Kay, can you help us with our EMR to be able to produce reports that we can verify that Steve is not looking at medical records that belong to a family member because you're not allowed to do that. It's a big no-no, right? Can we monitor for that stuff or they call it red flag or fair warning? Can we implement that? So from a technology standpoint, yes, you will be brought in to help to generate reports and or okay. audits or logs. But nine times out of 10, it's basically saying, okay, education to the user, you can't do this in the application. You can't do that. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to look at that. And then the, um, then the IR process, which means then, is there a response to say that, oh, Steve, you saw me looking at a medical record of a patient that doesn't belong to me. Who do you report that to? Right, because that's a privacy issue. Because I could have been paid by somebody outside to go and look up a data for somebody internally. Right, I'm not supposed to do that unless I've been assigned that a patient or that patient belongs to me, whether that's a dentist, whether that's anybody in the medical field. And then there's also layers on that as well. What they should have access to, like okay, LPN cannot assign drugs. It has to be an RN. All these different things that need to be implemented. That's some, you know all of the stuff that comes into place. Okay. And then there are, besides privacy and security, there's no other sections of HIPAA, right? No, there's only those two rules. Okay. Two sections, sorry. And, and I mean, completely outside of, of technology altogether. Like there's no weird rule that says like, you know, doctors are not allowed to have a parking spot. That's the closest to the building or anything. <laughs> no, weird. no like, that's, that's more, that's more corporate business related stuff. So um, and stuff, but nine times, nine, no, no, absolutely not. HIPAA is very black and white. There's not enough, there's not enough gray area, um, in there. Um, and that's why they haven't really updated it. Cause it's, that's why it's so outdated that it has, it needs to be updated. To be honest, I think it needs to have an inclusion for other elements because one of the things that HIPAA does not cover is what happens with credit card transactions. Then you got to then combine that with PCI because how, how I was going to say hotels and hospitals actually take a lot of credit cards or a lot of credit cards, right? As you know, go in, you got your copay, you pay with credit card, you pay with a, you throw a hockey puck or hand it to them or do it over the phone. They've got online billing. So there is other regulations that they need to have implement. And I think HIPAA doesn't take that into consideration. It literally looks at just the medical record information. So as you go through that, that's where the CIS controls come in. Because if you look at that mapping, you got HIPAA, guess what? You're also mapping, it has a mapping to PCI, right? Mm -hmm. So when you do that, you're now setting a standard and then allowing yourself to bring it in without having to keep reinvent, reinventing the wheel for every, for every type of regulation that I have to abide by. Because if I do CIS controls version eight, I got a good set of, got a grasp for HIPAA with these 12 elements that are outstanding that I need to get done. But oh, by the way, that's uh, those controls also crosswalk to these PCI controls. And I may only have a handful of outstanding things that I need to implement, but I've, the bulk of the work is already done. 
All right. So, uh, we, we earlier talked about CIS controls and NIST CSF. Mm-hmm. Now I didn't search very hard. I'm sure there's a document just like this mm-hmm. for, um, for NIST with CIS V8. This is mm-hmm. V7 one to CSF. Yeah. And this is showing again, the CIS control and sub control along mm-hmm. with, uh, the NIST CSF. Yep. Um, letting you know which, which one of these they map to. Correct. So, so both of these are, how do I want to phrase this? Both CIS controls and NIST CSF for most uses are voluntary, right? Um, yes. CIS and NIST, uh, both of them are voluntary. Unless maybe you're working with like DOD or, or something like that. They, um, DOD, they'll go, if they'll go DOD, they'll tend to go with the 171, uh, NIST 171, which is a different control. Uh, but again, but these are what they call guidelines slash standards, right? Standards mm-hmm. slash guidelines. Then when you start getting into regulatory compliance, that's when you start hearing the, the acronyms like HIPAA, PCI, SOX, GLBA, uh, FISMA, FedRAMP all these different kind of elements. Um, and then you get into your state level, uh, expectations around their breach notification around things that they need to do around protecting the, uh, the, uh, constituents of that state's private data, right. Or California consumer protection act, which is another one, their version of GDPR, which is Europe around protect, protecting personal information in the retail mm-hmm. environment. And then there's also that one for, uh, Brazil. I thought that was GBLA though. Uh, the G- GLBA that's uh, green, uh, green, bleach, Bliley. I can't pronounce it. That's a, fe- it's a finance one. Um, the, 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 the Brazilian one is very similar in the, in the acronym, but that's their version of GDPR in right, the data protection right. or equivalent to the EU's data protection act as well, depending on which way you look at it. But yeah, Brazil is really starting to focus on protecting data as much as they possibly can, because they've had a lot more compromises that haven't made the media like what happens in the U.S. Uh-huh. Um, because they've made it a standard that you have to report it, and once it gets reported, it can becomes it becomes you know you got the the freedom of information, and a lot of the databases actually pick up on that, and you can go and look at uh, I think it's uh, Privacy House or something of that nature. They have a uh, they call the breach database, and they go back years of all the different types of da- uh, breaches that are out there that you can see um, that are very well known. Now here I find this interesting. So CIS, and again, I'm looking at V7, uh, compared to NIST CSF, mm-hmm. I see some CIS controls that are not mapped to NIST, which means some of these feel like they're above and beyond. Correct. And then I don't see a tab for unmapped. Which means that there isn't anything unmapped. They've covered everything. So this, this leads me to believe CIS is more comprehensive than NIST. NIST CSF, correct. And yeah, then sorry. You, yeah, so when you get down to um, the NIST 800-53 and NIST 800-171, they become more comprehensive over the CIS version 8 or 7, right? So would you say that um, NIST CSF and then 53 and then 171 are kind of like CIS, uh, implementation groups one, two, and three. Um, it depends on the industry, 
right? So let's take, for example, the NIST con uh, cybersecurity framework is kind of like your entry point into cybersecurity and building a framework or that maturity model, as they like to call it. When you get into the government or DOD, that's 171. When you get into commercial or even the, your clients, the, you know, the public's private sector, they focus on the 800-53. Okay. Um, and then when you start getting into international, they focus on the ISO 2700 series. Right. Okay. So there's an all crosswalk. So in actuality, it kind of goes ISO 2700 series that the NIST then the crosswalk is into either CIS controls or directly into a, uh, a standard PCI, HIPAA, SOX, GLBA, and all the rest of it. So they all kind of, they all intertwine. They all basically roll up or map into different elements. But what is your quickest hit? And the quickest hit is CIS version controls. And then from there, you're basically implementing 90% of you know, this CSF. If you want to go above and beyond, you can go into the either the 800 53 or 171. But you're 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 be, you're basically implementing a standard solid framework by following the uh, the NIST controls version eight, and which I think is a very very good uh, evolution for MSPs to uh, adapt and adopt into their into their work uh, work environment, both internally and as part of their implementation for clients. And and I just want to add a correction. You said that. Um, you said NIST controls version eight, but I think you meant CIS. I so apologize. We, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. We're we're throwing out so many acronyms. It's easy yeah. to just start saying random ones, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so if MSPs were to say, you know, I'm going to go CIS control V8, and that's going to at least get me started. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. And you'll be you'll become more of a hero because that means you've started to adapt. Uh, adapt as in evolve, but also showing your clients you mean business when it comes to cybersecurity. So that means that your SLA, when you say that you do cybersecurity, truly means you're doing cybersecurity rather than saying, hey, we perform cybersecurity, but the functions are firewall monitoring, patch management, and endpoint protection, which was the old way of thinking 10 or 15 years ago, but it has never really evolved into say, okay, the next logical step is to now implement a full-on process around CIS controls version eight, which brings in education, brings in awareness, brings in policies. It brings in different levels of technology, defense and depth. It allows me to help this customer to move in the direction of a compliance standard, either PCI, HIPAA, SOX, all those elements without having to know each individual one. So we're building this, this continuous improvement process that when an auditor comes outside to do a PCI audit, they're going to be like, all right, you've already got one or two things that you need to fix, i.e. your patch management is not the best. Okay, great. We understand that, but everything else is golden. That's going to be huge from a client's perspective instead of them coming back saying, you don't have, pass you don't have policies and procedures. You've got, you've got credit cards everywhere, right? Data everywhere. You're not controlling that. So therefore, we could either suspend your credit card transaction capability because we find out you're in major violation or you, you, you have to clean it up. You're going to get a fine. All right. So, but if it's on the HIPAA side of things, you'll automatically get fined potentially for every uh, ruling up to $50,000. I think if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken of a fine and depending on the number of the fines they have, you could be in millions of dollars of fines and especially if there was a breach and then they discover that you were negligent on implementing, um, you know, uh, controls and or count, you know, countermeasures and so forth. I was only a little negligent though. <laughs> they don't care they don't care and then you then you got to take the civil aspect because then if it goes to the state 
they can also then apply fines on top of you because if they find that uh, constituent. So let's say, for example, New York, you could have people from Massachusetts and Connecticut and PA and here and you're housing that data. You're comp if you're compromised to breach in your healthcare facility, guess what? Now you've got to declare that those individual states and they may end up having to do an investigation to find out, are we going to fine you for ne negligence? Well, I feel so much better. I feel like you've given me an actual answer mm -hmm. for, for my search in what should MSPs do? And it sounds like the answer is if you were to just read the CIS V8 control PDF and then start downloading all of the benchmarks for the things that you do, the things that you support, that's going to really move you forward for cyber cybersecurity. Well, absolutely. And, and, and you know, free, free is good. Um, but there's also, you know, CIS does have memberships as well. So it's not, it's not cheap, but they have a membership, but they give you access to other tools to allow you to automate auditing processes around that. Um, yeah. but it's a very, it's a very, uh, it can be time consuming, but it's well worth it because once you've done it once you can export out that configuration and then re-implement it somewhere else. And then you've just created yourself a streamlined cookie cutter process. So if you, if you build one, 2000, you know, 2010 and you can, you configure it, you can export the configuration out of that and then implement it into the rest of the 2010s to do either active directory or if they're standalone, now you can do that and not have to reinvent. So do imaging, all these kind of things. So you can stop building practices around security rather than letting technology dictate the availability of that system. Because at the end of the day, you want that system to last as long as it possibly can. Because you can't afford for it to keep going down for breach or compromise because that just eats into your margin. And now you got to make sure it's, it's available. And the only way to do that is to bring in confidentiality and the integrity of that data or that system to make sure that it stays up. Thank you so much for, for all of that, Liam. This, um, I've learned so much. Now, Liam, you are with Cyrisma, which is the coolest portmanteau I have ever seen. <laughs> What's it mean, man? Uh, the, so it's a acronym and it stands for cyber risk information, security management, accountability, or as my brother likes to call it, uh, cyber risk management. Yeah. Isn't see, he? I, when I, when I see Cyrisma, I even see cyber risk management, yeah. uh, somewhere on your company website. I yep. thought I saw that. Yep. So yep. it, it just made me assume that that's what Cyrisma meant. Yeah. So it actually has a different meaning, but my wife thinks it's an FDA drug. So she's just waiting for the, uh, the, yeah. uh, the side effects to come out. Right. Well, so if it lasts for longer than three hours, you should probably see a medical professional. That's right. You know, I, 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 don't, I was going to say something, but I better not because my wife said one thing that started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so, yeah. so let's look at your website for me. You got a few more minutes, right? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So let's look at your website. Uh, wrong button. There we go. Hey, yo. Uh, so I, I remember I teased you about, uh, saying that we detect log four J, but, yep. but that is why, why do you have that here? The reason being is because we get caught, we get constantly asked all the time, do you detect log four J? So instead of being asking the question, we actually just put it right on the webpage. Normally we don't do that. Uh, we just did it this time. We detect log four J click here. Um, so basically it was kind of like for us to just put it out there for people to stop asking us that question. Got it. So. 
Uh, hey, there's nothing wrong with getting sick of people asking the same question over and over. True. So don't worry about that. Um, so, so talk to me, uh, this thing, cybersecurity SaaS solution, manage cyber risk without impacting your time, money, and people. Correct. So how does it work? Is it going to make me NIST CSF compliant? Uh, yes, it can. Uh, from a technical perspective, absolutely. Also CIS controls version eight. PCI and HIPAA all in one file swoop. And how it does that is basically it's a single pane of glass and, and we allow you to consolidate applications into one interface. So what do we do? So from this product or this platform, you can actually discover data where it's located, what type of sensitive data and who has access to it. We also discover, um, your vulnerability landscape and provide you the task that you need to mitigate that. We provide secure baseline, so you can actually do CIS benchmarking or hardening from an automated process. We also look at it from a standpoint is, in, is how do we roll that up into an overall risk dashboard so you can see where you were in the past, where you are today, and where you are in the future from a configuration standpoint so your, your, your customers, your clients, or stakeholders will know exactly what they have to do to enhance their security within the, within their environment. So this kind of things right here, discover your data, find vulnerabilities, fortify configuration. We have host integrity and then manage, and we can assign mitigation plans as well. We are also going to be rolling out here very shortly is dark web monitoring because every person should have the ability to perform dark web monitoring without any additional cost, especially for their clients. And the reason being is because you don't know if you've been compromised, right? We're going to tell you that you've got, you've got risks. It's up to you if you want to fix them or not. If you don't, you want another way of finding out if somebody able to compromise the data. Because what if they did an account takeover, right? They uh, compromise your Office 365. We'll be able to tell you that through that email, through that uh, through our interface. It all rolls up, and it's a nice thing because it it actually allows your clients to log in, so you don't have that wizard behind the cloak. No more pieces of paper being stuck in and wedged open the door, kind of scenario report wise. Um, so it gives you builds on that trust, um, and it's cost effective. Ultimately, our goal is to bring simplicity back to cybersecurity, and also make it affordable, and also make it accessible um, as part of that process. And we're very passionate about cybersecurity, as you can tell. Um, you know, I, you know, I like talking about our product, but I also like talking about cybersecurity and generalities. Um, but I think from our product itself, is starting to uh, gain traction in the uh, MSP space um, and MSSP space as well, um, because it allows for organizations to really truly see what we're doing um, within this product. Um, and this test drive is available if they, anybody wants to to do that. But again, um, that was a little selfish plug there. But um, I like the product. I've been on your side of the fence. I understand what it means like to how do I implement security without it breaking the bank and costing a lot of money, which it does. And how can they have a RevGen tool that allows me to generate revenue? Um, so, and one of the analogies of one of our partners said is that, uh, Liam, your product is kind of like a car leaving the dealership. We're not going to make much money on it, but we can make a lot of money for all the services that we can surround it. Tabletop sessions, virtual CISO, patch management, vulnerability management, data classification, all the different elements that we normally weren't able to do. We can start doing now um, internally and in, in, in building up that next level of net new revenue that we didn't have before.
I like this. So what does this thing cost? Um, so it's, it's affordable. It's affordable. Um, and I can't, I, cause all it's based on a per engagement basis with the client, each client. Sure. So there is a base license, uh, price and whether in that base, I don't want to kind of state it on here. Um, the base license price includes full support levels one, two, and three, uh, all updates and maintenance, the ability for unlimited consulting. So you can utilize it for one-time engagement consulting. So if you do 30 engagements a year and you're, you know, using other tools that cost you money, you don't need to use them anymore. You can use our product. You can roll it out to one, uh, managed service customer, uh, without any additional cost. You get a dedicated, uh, channel success manager. And then when you roll out to your second, there is a monthly fee associated with that. That does not go beyond, um, per instance or per client of 425 a month. So if you have a company that's 300 users or 5,000 users, it's 425 a month. That's not bad. No. So no. And, and is there, is there, and I saw the question, is there, uh, you know, the, you know, member perks it is when we work with entities like, you know, rocket MSP, if we were working with them and, or seven figure or other entities, there is ways of making it more cost-effective, uh, for the MSP to gain access to. That's fantastic. So mm -hmm. you and I are going to have to have a conversation about that so we can uh, mm -hmm. put together a perk for members of rocket MSP. Cause I am bringing those back, baby. They're coming back. Uh, March 1st is when I have, when I plan on having everything rolled out. Okay. So yes, absolutely. Awesome. And the only other thing I wanted to ask, uh, I think you answered it. You've got a demo, you've got a, a way to try it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the price seems reasonable. Are you familiar with Bruce McCulley from galactic advisors? No. Okay. No. The only reason I ask is because sometimes I, I get. I, I'm a little fuzzy on what some of these, these companies are doing. So, um, I've, I've had Ed Bruce on in the past and he has a very nice cybersecurity platform. And I was just wondering if your platform is like similar competitive type of thing, or if you two would complement each other. Because it depends. It depends on what does what does he do? Because I've never I've never heard of him before. Right. So, uh, well, as a CEO, do you ever wonder if your network is secure from hackers, scammers, and thieves? Like, it, it seems like he's he's offering very similar type stuff. Um, okay. Uh, pro protect your computer network. That so he so a lot of this stuff on this website right here is geared to i'll call it the end client while he has a thing that's specifically for msps yeah he could be doing edr which is endpoint detection right and detect and respond um and we we don't we don't work in that realm we work in a different realm of basically saying okay um those do a great job what we want to do is to find out where your data is how and then are the systems that house that data securely uh patched and configured and then rolling that up into a security scorecard. And then from that, then we push out to breach detection solutions, such as like Stellar Cyber, uh, we will be rolling out here. They're going to become a very close uh, technology partner of ours 
so that when, if you do have an XDR solution like Stellar Cyber, you'll be able to suck in data directly from Cyrisma, and then the SOC analyst will be able to see in real time if that attack is, is, is prone to a specific CVE that that host has it, they're going to have it from our standpoint. And also if that system has sensitive data, then that person can make corrective action right away instead of saying, Hey, Steve, I've been trying to get a hold of you for the last two hours, but your server's under attack. What do you want us to do? You go, you first thing you do is when you stop it, now they'll have more confidence in wanting to stop it because they have more information at their fingertips. And that's what we're going to be able to bring to the table um, within our solution for a lot of uh, MSPs and so forth. That sounds excellent. And it, it sounds like um, they do scanning. So they'll do like weekly reviews and updates with uh, uh, GA security staff. Uh, they say it's 166% more detailed than a typical pen test or risk assessment. So I'm, you know, it, it seems like some mm -hmm. of it might go deeper than what you do in some ways. And then other parts, maybe they don't do what you do in other ways. So, yeah. And that's the, that's the thing it's, 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 you know, there's, that's why, you know, for us, we're, we're an ecosystem, we're building a framework around mm -hmm. to be able to allow people to have access to a number of tools, right? Um, you know, most cases, what ends up happening is. MSPs will buy tools, but only utilize 10% of that tool because the other 90% requires them to either hire more staff or send staff out for training for weeks upon end, which they can't afford to do so. So we decided to say, well, why don't we build the 10% that every MSP needs for the different functions of our product, build it in so they can straight away take advantage of the staff and take them from 70% utilization to 80%, but that extra 10% or 50% that we bring to the table is also additional billable work, which means net new revenue organically being created. You know, example is, you know, one of our partners came back and says, hey, we're saving 30 hours a month in generating reports for our clients. We just do a presentation directly from your web interface, look at your dashboard. Now that 30 hours that we're saving is generating net new revenue because we can have them be involved in closing or adding in or doing more professional services, which is great. That's what we want. Not only an ROI tool, but also a rev gen tool to be able to do that. And that's what we want to bring to the table. And that's why we say we're, we want to bring simplicity back to cybersecurity because that's what MSPs need is simplicity. They need the ability for it to be accessible and affordable that it makes it easier for them to expand the, our solution but cybersecurity as a whole to their clients. Well, I guess the reason I brought them up is I, I feel like there might be a way for you and Bruce to collaborate because okay. I, I, I feel like the passion from both of you when it comes mm -hmm. to this entire topic. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how that collaboration would work or what it looks like. I just, I feel like you two need to meet and talk. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to see if I can facilitate that for you. Mm -hmm. Um, sure. thanks so much for doing this, man. I, I learned a lot. And while I know that we're not all going to be perfect cybersecurity experts after this conversation and after implementing CISV8, we're going to be so much better than we yeah. were. Yeah. It's just taking that next step mm -hmm. and that's part of evolving. And I think once you take that first step, it's, um, 
you know, you're, you're realizing that it's a lot easier than they thought a lot of people think it is. Um, and the, the thing that I like about CIS is that they have the benchmarks. Yes. NIST CSF doesn't seem to have the benchmarks. They have their own kind of benchmarks. They call them DISA STIG, but it's really more for if you're DOD or federal government, you got to know what mission control is, top secret to confidential to private to public. That comes a little difficult, whereas CIS is a simple level one or level two. Which one do you want to go? Level mm -hmm. one means I'm in heightened my security, but if I go level two, it's tightened even more that, you know, I may not need to do that. So, but at the end of the day, whatever you feel comfortable with is going to basically move the needle further along than you've ever done before, because you're willing to take that leap of faith. Well, I can't wait to have another conversation with you about this stuff. Yep. And maybe digging even deeper into yep. uh, CIS and kind of going beyond the uh, first steps. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on and we appreciate will it. talk soon. I appreciate it. Thanks, Steve.